Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lagunitas Brewing Company, challenging the status quo and crafting stories along the way. Featuring a wide range of innovative craft brews and non-alcoholic options, it's good to have friends. Learn more at Lagunitas.com. Where should I sit? Uh, do you want to sit on this one? Yeah, I'll put my stuff in the corner. Yeah. My guest this episode was very, very chill and friendly when I interviewed her recently. Introduce oh, yourself. Uh, my name is Candice Carty Williams. Um, it's a very nice day today. The sun's out. It's quite hot. You'd have no idea upon first hearing her that she is one of the buzziest authors of the moment, with the best-selling fiction debut on her hands. But that is exactly who Candice Carty Williams is. And today, we talk about her moment and her very, very buzzy book. It's called Queenie. Hi. Hey. Are we good? All good on my side. I'm Sam Sanders. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Now, this book, Queenie, it has been called a Black Bridget Jones diary. The main character, Queenie, she's a 25-year-old black woman living in London, and she is not having a very good year. She has a job at a newspaper, but she hates it. She's got a close circle of friends, but she kind of hates them too. She's got a long-term boyfriend, and he just dumped her. It's a lot. And in this book, Queenie tells all. The opening scene, for instance, in the first chapter, it has Queenie in stirrups at an OBGYN's office, having a most awkward exam. But the thing about Queenie is that this book is hilarious all the way through. In spite of the oversharing, in spite of the drama, often because of the oversharing and the drama. Candice Cardi-Williams and I talk about all of that and more here. Interracial dating, family drama, generational trauma, how your 20s are just a hot mess, etc. It's a lot. It's a good chat. Okay, let's get to it. As a warning, listeners, we do discuss sex and dating in this episode a lot. It's probably not best for kids, okay? All right, here's Candice. She was in London. I was in L.A., Enjoy. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're super busy with the book rollout and the audiobook rollout. Uh, but two, just thank you for the book. I devoured it Aww. on vacation recently. And what I also enjoyed uh, were the credits and the thank yous and acknowledgments in your book. Oh, yeah. I found out by reading them that we both like the same podcast the read oh my god it's just my dream thing i was saying to, i have a, a best I have one of my best friends um we were talking about the read and i just called her up just out of nowhere and i was like i just want to talk about the fact that we're just so lucky to have this because how lucky are we to have yes. like two people who every week talk about the things that we want to talk about yeah what i so for me it's like all of them are good but there's some episodes that they do where i'm just like put this in the library of congress right now yes. like when they the first episode episode they had after Beyonce's Coachella set a year ago. The Beachella <laughs> episode was literally I think I played it three times. Yeah, I still play it now. I played it after watching Homecoming. Yeah. And listen, so listen to them talking about Beachella <laughs> and Homecoming. Yes. I would pay for the read. I would pay, I would pay yes. money every week for it. Yes. I am obsessed. I honestly it's like Probably the most uh, consistent thing in my life. Really? And I'm so grateful. Yeah. I love to hear that. I was thinking more about uh, us both liking this podcast. And what I love about that show and what I found in reading your book was this similarity. You know, the podcast is led by two queer black people. Mm-hmm. And the whole show is about them talking about what they want to talk about and not 
over explaining themselves mm-hmm. or their culture just to compensate for someone else's ignorance. Like the yeah. read is just unabashedly black on mm-hmm. purpose, but mm-hmm. still accessible to everybody, which is yeah. kind of what I felt with your book. This is a book that is black on purpose, but not just for black people. For sure. And that's the thing I was talking to someone about that at lunchtime today. It's, you know, I can only and will only write through the lens that I know and understand. And also, you know, in terms of the culture that is, I guess, the mainstream here, which is still uh, white Western culture, I've had to do so much learning around stuff that I don't understand or Mm. stuff that isn't part of my culture. Mm. And so, yeah, it's all part of it. It's kind of like, you know, if I've had to learn these things, then so should you. And that's fine. Yeah. And it can still be a fun read and it can still be accessible because like a lot of the stuff that all of us go through, like bad sex and bad dates in our 20s, that's for mm-hmm. everybody. <laughs> like it's just for everybody. It's true. No, one's, no one can escape it. <laughs> <laughs> so we should take a step back and just set up the book Queenie as best we can without giving everything away. Describe yeah. in what like 45 seconds what the book is. So Queenie is about a black British woman um, living in South London. She is 25 and we basically meet her when she's about to have what I can describe best as a quarter life crisis. Mm. Um, So she is living with her partner um, who is white um, and when their relationship hits a bit of a, well, a big rock, um, things start to unravel for her. Uh, Things in the past that she's been pushing down come out and she basically goes on a big messy spiral. But it's fun um, and they're a really (laughs) fun uh, set of uh, supporting characters helping her through it. Um, And so she is, you know, and also, you know, Queenie, she is, she's meant to be frustrating and she's meant to be quite, irritating because she is in this period of her life where she's like I don't know what's going to happen and I'm really scared and so I'm just reaching out and pulling on to everything and anyone that I can um, so I don't fall yeah when you say that Queenie is meant to be frustrating and irritating Mm. how do you like is there ever a fear that you're giving readers too much because you because you're saying all right Queenie's going to be unashamedly black and mm-hmm. also frustrating and also irritating. I could see some publishing houses saying, I don't know, Candice, might be too much. <laughs> Did you get any pushback like that? Uh, no, I didn't, actually, which is really nice. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think it's also because, you know, I really did set out to have a character who was not... She was black and she did not have to be strong. She did not have to be sassy. She did not have to click her fingers. She was somebody who was going through stuff. And actually, I think there is a lot about women being likeable that I kind of push against myself. Mm. Mm. Uh, because I think that women, just in our everyday lives, we have to be polite, we have to be likeable, we have to be nice. Um, and I think that we can be many things, um, but we also don't have to adhere to social norms just to get through the day. I think if you're feeling something, you're feeling it and you have to go through what you're going through. I'm a nice person, but there are, <laughs> I, you know, I, but I also have boundaries and I don't take a lot of rubbish. Yeah, Queenie, Queenie has very few boundaries. <laughs> yeah, Very few boundaries. Um, but yeah, so no pushback from that. Actually, my editors were really kind of... Like, yeah, this girl is kind of going through her thing and she's kind of got to be this person who is going to kind of split the crowd. Yeah. Uh, you, this book has been called for a few, for a while now, The Black Bridget Jones Diary, which is mm. actually a descriptor that you came up with yourself from what I was reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me why you did it and tell me if that comparison and that labeling ever tires you. 
So it's interesting. A lot of uh, people have been like, you're doing the book a huge disservice by saying that. Um, <laughs> but I think just because, you know, obviously, like, shout out to Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding, an amazing book, an amazing yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the comparison, that was me being like, I know that publishers are going to be quite scared of this because mm. we don't have any really in the commercial space at the moment mainstream books by mm. black women and I mean black on both sides so my both of my mm-hmm. parents are black I do not have fair skin I do not have loose curls I do not have freckles I am black on both sides and um, uh. and by saying look this is like you know hopefully going to be a commercial success yeah. that was the Bridget Jones effect that was my like stealth that was like my sneaking uh-uh. into a... But yeah, so I mean, it worked out well. I got it through the door. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's all going well. It's all going well. Yeah. Does that stealthifying, though, ever get tiring? Because black people have to do it all, all the time. Like, how do yeah. I present myself in a way that they get, that doesn't mm. offend them, that doesn't make them stop and scratch their head? And like... You want to do it so your work and you have the greatest reach, but also some days are you just like, I mean, I find myself being just like, I don't want to have to do it today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of code switching is the main thing. So obviously speaking differently. And I'm speaking like this because I'm doing a podcast, so I need to be proper. (laughs) Wait, no, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. Give me some unproper candies for just a little bit. We can go there. We're the slightly drunk NPR podcast. We're like a little bit buzzed. That's our vibe. So feel free okay, to let well, it I could all drop hang it. out. I could drop it a bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> so no, no, no. So basically, it's just um, so there is code switching, which is, and also just like in terms of dress. So basically, I will always wear. I will mainly wear a tracksuit because I just want to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, but I have to when you like when you do these things, you have to like be acceptable, just like appearance wise and voice wise. You have to make sure you say the right things. Mm. And so like when you're doing press, that's like a triple think because you're like. Okay, so I've also got to not swear, and I've got to like not give things away, and I've got to think about who my audience are going to be, mm-hmm. and so yeah, so it's a really like I, you know, it is a lot of work a lot of the time. But I talk to like my friends who are, like I speak to my actor friends basically who like mm. have been doing this and kind of are shaping how have helped me to shape how I can see myself and yeah. understanding like you know your identity and what that can mean. But what's their um, biggest tip on all of that? Uh, it is that being all things for people isn't sustainable. Mm. And that's really helpful because I go to, so here, obviously I do lots and lots of events. And even if I'm like exhausted, I'll be like, all right, do it because there's going to be like three or four black girls in the crowd who are going to be grateful that you've gone there. Mm. Um, So yeah, so it's a lot, so it's all been a good time, but it's also a lot of work and a lot of like policing yourself in ways just so you know. Also my nan is watching all this stuff and (laughs) you have to have to like, I can't. Can't be slipping. <laughs> She's so strict. So, really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the book in itself. Like I was, I gave her a copy, and I was like, "But you can't read it, but you can have it in the house." <laughs> Did she and read she it? Was like, no, she hasn't, because she knows that she was like, "I don't want to be. I don't wow. want any reason to dis- to be disappointed." So, wow. Yeah. Do you think she'll? Will you allow her at some point to read it, and will she ever read it? 
I don't know. I think she might, you know, she might do a sneak read and never talk to me about it. And that's wow. fine. Okay. But my my mum, like, is kind of, my mum doesn't read. She's dyslexic. So she's uh-huh. like, it's quite hard. So it's like, it's like effort for her to read. So she's like, oh, can, you know, I'm trying. And, you know, I've liked what I've read. And she's on page, like, seven or something. <laughs> Get her that um, audio book. Get her that audio book. <laughs> God, that's such a good point. She does, <laughs> thanks. Um, I, can get her, I, can, I reckon I get her an audible credit. Yeah. Um, and my sister is 20 and we do not talk about anything to do with men really. And so mm. I'm a bit like, read it, but we won't talk about it. Huh. And she's like, all right, understood. I mean, she's 20, but I see her as like, you know, a child. Oh, you so, always will. She's a younger sister. Yeah. Exactly. So as you deal with family reading or possibly reading this book... I'm sure one question they'll be asking you and probably a question a lot of folks are asking you is how much of Queenie is you? Basically, I have I have a really vivid imagination in that if I say I like meet someone at the bus stop, I can then sit if I'm bored and like reimagine our whole lives. Um, <laughs> you together. and me both. Listen, Up until death. Yeah, seriously. In my mind, I'm married five <laughs> times a day. <laughs> exactly. And so it really comes from that. So it's kind of like, okay, so a few experiences I had, a few dates I went on, a few people that I know. But also, you know, it is a work of fiction and there's nothing in that that I could be like, yeah. this, this is part of my life. And Queenie is like very far from me. I'm really mm. considered. I'm really careful. Um, my heart is like very guarded. You know, like I'm yeah. just, we're very different people. And she's a kind of, I guess maybe she was me if I let myself be vulnerable and I let myself go um, so she's yeah she's a, she's a different version but I don't really see my I don't really see myself in her and I too find her frustrating because <laughs> someone actually described her the other day as like the frustrating friend that you love loads um, oh, yeah. and they, they will always ask for your advice and you'll give it to them even though you and know they you're not they know they're not going to take it um, you were saying in one interview that I was reading up on that that, you, that she's perhaps more fun, but you're more stable. <laughs> which I, which I, oh, for sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that much more stable, but my instability does not affect my actions. <laughs> yeah, which... yeah. <laughs> All right, time for a break. When we come back, why Candice, unlike Queenie in her book, has sworn off dating white guys. As a warning, there'll be some more sexual discussion in there too, listeners. Okay, BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Capital One Saver Card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. No matter what you've got planned, you need a song of the summer. This week on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are rounding up experts from NPR Music. We will play a ton of songs to lift your spirits, and you might even find your next favorite artist. That's NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Listen and subscribe now. One of the things I wondered if there was commonality in was the complicated, uh, the complications of Queenie dating white men. Is that something Mm. that you've experienced too? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't date white men anymore. Haven't for a while. Okay. Um, and actually, my... Sorry, my guys. Old... <laughs> 
Honestly, there aren't going to be many people complaining. Um, no, my <laughs> older brother runs my website. He's like 38. Mm-hmm. And he's had to send me, like, in a really exasperated way, all of the weird emails that I get from white men who are what? like, Hi, read your interview. Don't agree with what you're saying. Here's why I think you could date me. Here is Aww. my value, sexual and otherwise. <laughs> it's just like, I'm always like, Claude, I'm so sorry. You do not have to send me these. But he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's funny. But um, How do you feel when you get those? Do you? Because on the one hand, you can say, like, well, I appreciate these men for trying. But on the other hand, back, back. I just love, I think think also because it's come through my brother. I can't (laughs) see them as anything but, like, jokes. (laughs) Because I can't be like, okay, great, I'll email him. But I also wouldn't anyway. But I was talking about it the other day. I mean, seriously, I talk about this. I mean, having written a novel, people want to talk about these things all the time now. But in terms of um, interracial dating, I I have done it. um, And... Yeah, there girl, is some, we all have. Oof. Right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, there are some nice instances, but also, you know, like, I found it to be a lot of work a lot of the time. And I think that a relationship is work all the time, but it shouldn't be in that way. And I don't, I just think it's tiresome having to explain why things impact you and affect you all the time and why certain words aren't nice. And you just kind of, oh, just kind of like, why am I doing it? And then, like, you know, you, you, you start, like, dating black people and you're like, yeah. I don't have to do this work, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I know I know and love many interracial couples, yeah. not in a threesome way, just in a <laughs> they're my friends way. Yes, um, yes, yes. But, yeah. you know, and I really love and respect them, but I just think, for me, the work mm-hmm. I've done, also, I'm a super, super, super se- sensitive person. Um, and I get really quickly exhausted by having to do that work. Mm. And I'm just kind of, you know, it's just, it feels yeah. like it's, you know. Not to, like, cape for the straight white men out there. They're fine. But, like, is there a reality in which a white guy who really gets it and doesn't need the hand-holding, would he have a chance with you? I'm yet to meet him, if I'm aware. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I will. Um, but I don't know. I don't, do you know what? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. And I think, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, I guess maybe I've let past experiences just de- define the future. But um, I don't think so. It would have to, it would have to depend. Was there a particular moment or time or bad dating experience in which you said, that's it, no more of them? Or was it a gradual realization or? It was a gradual thing, and then it was talking to my black female friends and us basically comparing and contrasting the ways that white guys saw us and spoke to us. And I was made—I made certain to talk to black girls, my black female friends of all body types. So I'm a curvy girl. Um, I spoke to one of my friends who is like petite, one who's like athletic build, one mm-hmm. who's like slim thick. And the thing we had in common was the way that guys approached us on dating sites especially was so about our bodies and our skin Mm. and what we could do for them sexually and basically it was just kind of a discussion we were just like what where is the hope especially in britain i mean i'm sure um you know every place is different um and i think you know app culture is so huge here Mm -hmm. um and there's i was talking to someone about mixers that uh, a thing and she said she went to new york and there were these mixers and we were just like haha that could never happen here because everyone is super awkward and like the idea that you would be like out and being like hi yes i'm single and i'd like to mix with someone else single we it's like brits are just like we're no that's terrifying mortifying let's just look at our phones yeah in a previous interview you said that one of the storylines that inspired how you wrote about dating mm. Queenie was this real life situation you and a 
white girlfriend both mm. matched with the same white man and he said drastically yeah. different introductory messages to the both of you talk oh, about that sure. like what so yeah. so same guy but he reaches out to you a black woman and to your mm-hmm. friend a white woman what does he uh-huh. say to each of you so my friend Lydia, who is like so amazing, mm-hmm. um, we were like, you know, just exchanging like, you know, pictures one day. We were like, okay, look at this guy. What do you think of this guy? And then we basically realised that we we're talking about the same person. And it's one guy whose name I always nearly say. Oh, <laughs> like, just say that. it. Come on. Um, <laughs> no, I no, I, re- I really cannot. I really don't want to get sued. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, and we were talking to the same person and... It was two different apps. So on the app that she had and had connected with him on, it was one of those ones where it was like, you're close by, uh, will happen. Okay. And so you pop up in each other's feeds when you're like, you know, within a certain radius where you pass each other by. And the one I was talking to him was okay, Cupid, And that is um, oh, basically, okay, you know, stupid. we all know it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, so like basically username based. So this guy had a username and I didn't know his name for a long. He wouldn't tell me his name. Um, but when she was talking to him he had his name up his profile his job um, and he said oh hey I see that you work with kids too my name is da 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 um, it'd be really great to go for a drink sometime like I'd just you know love to get to know mm-hmm. you and to me he said hey do you want to take a day off work so I can f*** you woo and I was like oh uh, no um, and I, sh- I mean, I showed it in. She was like, okay, I'm not going to meet him. But then we were just like, let's carry on talking to him. Because I was like, let's see if he continues. Uh-huh. And we were like, let's carry on talking to him and see what his approaches are. And so we then started sending him the same messages. Stop. And so he would continue to basically uh, sexualize me. And with her, he would continue to be like, hey, it'd be so good to grab that coffee. Like, we're going wow. to talk about these things in real life. And we basically shut the whole thing down when one evening he sent me a picture of himself. I mean, it's quite, imagine the angles. He (laughs) sent me a picture from his phone Uh of himself, Uh penis in hand, masturbating to pictures of me on his computer screen from my profile. And we were just like, okay, Abort mission, this is done. Yeah. It was really, really it was bad. And so, yeah, when you get things like that, it's kind of like... And so basically, yeah, this, that's why one of the storylines came about. It's not imagined in the same way. It's completely different. Yeah. But it's the idea that this guy would treat two girls completely differently based on his societal understanding of what a black woman can give him and what white women can. Man, it's got to be, over time, just demoralizing. It's demoralizing and also just it just does have an effect on your value as a person. Um, and so like, you know, like just dating now for myself is like it's so weird when people are like, no, I'm into you. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> but for real? Um, uh, and so, yeah, because I guess like when you've had years of people just being like, all I, hey, all I'd want to do is have sex with you and like maybe chat to you a bit. And, then, you know, and I've had hundreds of messages at this point the book's been out for i don't know like eight weeks in the states maybe seven or eight and four here and i have had hundreds maybe almost a thousand messages genuinely um from young women who were like i am queenie i have lived this i have known this this are people sending me like screen grabs of bits that they can relate to sending me messages they've had from guys i've had like the full spectrum of girls and some guys being like, 
I have understood this and I have been this and I'm really grateful and I'm less lonely now. And that was really what I wanted to do. I wanted people to be less lonely in this stuff that all goes on, I guess, very much behind closed doors and on our phones. And, you know, luckily I have friends that I can be like, hey, look at this that this guy sent me. But loads of people don't. And we forget that. Loads of people take that on and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed and they think Mm -hmm. it's their fault. Yeah. So then what advice do you have for those readers writing in with some of these stories, for Queenie herself dealing with this stuff in the book, what's your advice on dealing with what we've just been speaking about? I would say you have to talk about it, no no matter how hard it might be. And I think if you are affected by these things, which we often are really affected by them, we do carry them, we do take them on, and I think talking about them is the way that you're going to do that and I do think I mean therapy is just a Come on. and Listen. I need to I yes. honestly it's just you got to get in there seriously yeah. you know I think that it's really easy to want to be a pinnacle of strength who can just deal with it all but that's not real so I think talking is like my one thing and then just being the person that you are is another thing yeah. and not being afraid of that and not being afraid of being vulnerable yeah you know hearing you say that I thought of what was my favorite line from the book when was it Queenie's aunt she says to Queenie's mother about Queenie who was struggling she says oh, yeah. being brave isn't the same as being okay right and I was like yeah um, yeah all of that stuff with her, all the scenes with her mum, they were hard. They were really, really hard yeah. to write. My relationship with my mum yeah. is like entirely different to that. But basically what I wanted to explore in that family were the generational dynamics of strength mm. and how strength can, can, or not having strength or trying to be strong can really alter you. So you have Queenie's grandma who's like, I'm really strong and I've managed everything and Queenie, like nothing's wrong with you, but actually someone who is carrying a lot of stuff and isn't able to even talk to her family about how they feel, and that damages them. All right, one more break here. When we come back, Queenie heads to television. And there's one thing Candice says she will not change about this character when that happens. BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hear the stories behind the songs that rally communities large and small across America. Listen and subscribe to All Songs Considered, Throughline, and All Latino for a closer look at songs from NPR's American Anthem series. How much of what Queenie is going through about being black, about being a woman, and how much of it is about just going through your early to mid-20s and how that is just always for everyone a hot mess? Isn't it such a mad time? I'm turning 30 this year. And I'm like, thank you. I'm like, get it away. I just, I won't get me away from my 20s. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. Um, I really just, I just want to be out of them. I had a friend, one of my best friends was turned 30 and she was crying all week and I was like, I don't know what you're crying for. Um, (laughs) But I think, do you know what? I think it's that thing when you feel like you're meant to be an adult and also... I think it's really vital to note that you leave all of these institutions that you've been in since you were a child, mm-hmm. um, where you have your structures. So oh, obviously, yeah. like, you, you know, over here, they tell you what to do. They tell you how 
have to be. They tell you what your goals are, your ambitions are, your grade point average, I understand you guys have, your GPO. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you have all of those things and then suddenly it's time to get a job and you're like, sorry, hmm? hmm because you don't, <laughs> where do I, who gives me the Where's job? Where's my guidance counsellor? <laughs> exactly. And actually you hit the world running in a way but actually you don't run at all you end up stopping and being like oh wait oh oh, what you know and so I think there's this really it's this really weird space that feels like limbo but you actually have no idea where you're going yes and so I think early 20s are really tough time because you are definitely not yet an adult and I'm still learning things now about myself about how the world works about my feelings around things about how to navigate things I was not equipped for anything when I was in my early 20s but I, I expected to be Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that expectation is what really knocks you on your, uh, yeah. you know, off your feet. Oh yeah, I am 34 now, going on 35, Very and nice. I just six months ago began to feel like a grown ass man. Yeah, like there's I something. Think, that, yeah, you, you just like, and on top of the complications of being a child in your 20s, but like with a beard or like fully developed, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird. You like also have that wonderful early to mid 20 somethings feeling of somehow knowing everything and knowing mm. that everyone else before has done it wrong and if you could just yeah. do it your way and show them they'd all get it and I think the moment when I began to just settle down and like ease into the ride was, was when I said maybe I'm not better or smarter than everyone else and maybe mm-hmm. a lot of folks have gone through the same thing before and maybe the difference that I make in the world will be a slight move to the left or right but I might not reinvent the wheel and maybe yeah. that's okay you it's know? about being realistic, right? It's yeah. about being like, I can only do what I can do. Yeah. Um, and also understanding that actually there are, it's really weird because I think we do believe a lot of stuff that we think just as people because all we have is our thoughts, right? Like a, yeah. like a, a very base level. Um, and I think when you hear them enough, you're kind of like, oh, no, no, that's right. I'm true. I can do all of that stuff. But that's not real. And I think there always needs to be space for other considerations. But I do think that as we get older, we do make space for that because... We've got to make mistakes in order to get there. I want to talk a little bit about how you got to be a best-selling author because just before this book was done, and actually while you were writing the book, you were also doing a day job as like yeah. a marketing executive. Which I still do now. Look at you. I'm leaving in one week. <laughs> in a week, <laughs> at the end of this week. Yeah, I'm leaving at the end of this week. It's wow. going to be new life. How do you feel about that? I feel good about it. I feel good because it means I can now concentrate on writing full time. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when I started out writing, I hadn't written at all. And I was like, I can understand. I can see that there's a, this gap in the market where, you know, someone like me would love to read a book about herself. So why don't you just write it? Mm-hmm. And so I went away for a week and I uh, just like started banging it out. And um, at the end of the first week, I'd written 40,000 words. And then... Wait, stop. Tell everyone your secret, <laughs> please. Basically, I, I'm just, it's really bad. I just basically just, I write at nighttime exclusively. Huh. And so I'm just nocturnal anyway. Huh. Um, and so I settle down to write at about wow. midnight. And then I look up and it's 7 a.m. <gasps> and so, yeah, I just write and write. And I write really quickly. I write so quickly that sometimes I trip over the first sentence and then just write the second and then go back and finish the one that I was writing first because my brain just moves super quick time you must be an Um, editor's dream 
You're like, oh, you want do you that copy? I, really, I got it. Do you know what? They are so lucky to have me, and I really hope they listen to this <laughs> because genuinely, they'll be like, "Hi, here are your edits. Like, hear from you like in a few months, and and like, in three weeks, I'll be like, "Hi guys, just let me know what you think. Like, you know, just I've done what you said, and I've added a few flourishes. Wow. Um, but I just really like it, and once I get into the world, I can see it all, and I'm very firmly in there, and because. I can sit for hour-long periods and I can just write. I think that's really, really helped me. Yeah, yeah. Queenie is becoming a TV show, right? Yeah. So I just, I think, I don't think I'm even allowed to say this yet, but yes. <gasps> well, I saw um, it on the internet, so. I know, yeah. I think basically I said, <laughs> basically everyone asks. And I've said, I've said it, I really started it in like a really like roundabout, like, yes, she will have another life at some point in some different <laughs> format. And now I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's just gonna be a TV show. Um, That's because, scary. Yeah. Now, how much do you like? Like, are you worried about losing some of her or some of her changing? Because you you hand you you give away some of the ownership of this idea to let a production company and TV network make a thing. Well, I'm writing it. Okay. So <laughs> she is not going to change too much. Don't worry. Uh, no, I'm really excited because it means that I get to give her a different. I get I get to give her like a whole new format and like you yeah. know obviously tv is such a different thing and they need they need to be different like hooks and like maybe new characters you know like you know when someone's bought the book they bought the book uh-huh. but you know i need to give people reason to keep tuning in mm-hmm. um and so it's exciting thinking about the things that i'm gonna put her through week <laughs> after week to keep them watching don't make queen um, suffer too much uh i might uh, but no so i think it's re- and also get to introduce like new characters like i'm gonna give her like a nice love interest Aww. nice black boy um and so i'm really really excited i'm really yeah. really excited i mean it's gonna be like you know that like working with the tv network is like you know it's a real thing yeah um because it's a whole different set of people and oh, yeah. like uh, you know you've got a production company you've got to please you've got a network you've got to please and so that is going to be work. And I've mm-hmm. already had to be quite firm about things. Uh. Um, and so... Like what? Um, like... Oh, I don't know if I can say it. Um, I've had to... So basically, just just making sure that Queenie is like a... You know, like in the first instance, that yeah, Queenie's going to be a black woman. She's not going to be mixed race, you know? They wanted to make Queenie mixed race. Not the, not the people that I'm working with. But okay. I have I had production companies coming to me with different names of people that should be playing her, and I was like, "Wow, this is what I'm going to be in for." And they so, wanted someone light skinned to play her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When she's decidedly like, dark skinned, she is decidedly dark. She is, and that was that's there's that's never going to like that's yeah. you know yeah that's who she um, is that's who she is and that's who she's going to be, and so it's things like that even just at that level that I'm having to I'm I mean I've got I'm going to have like battles on my hands but yeah. um I'm ready for them because you know I understand who she is and and what she needs to be well I look forward to watching it um thank you so much my last question for you before I let you go what do you think Queenie is doing <clears throat> right now what is Queenie doing right now so she is 20 she's 26 mm-hmm. and I think that she's okay. She's not great. She's never okay. going to be perfect, like none of us are. Yeah. Um, but I, I think she's gonna. I think she's going on a date this evening with someone who's being nice to her. I love nice. that. I love that. I think that's what she's doing. She's going on. She's getting. She's she's at work and she's nervous because she's got a nice date at six thirty in an hour. Uh, 
Tell her only three sprays of cologne, no more. Or perfume, rather. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's my rule. That's actually a really good rule. I would, I would employ that myself. Have fun tonight, Queenie. Candice, thank you so much. I really appreciate thank, it. Thank you, Sam. Thanks again to Candice Cardi-Williams. Her debut novel is called Queenie. And thanks to our friends at the BBC in London. NPR's Frank Langfitt and Sophie Eastaw with the BBC. You actually heard Sophie in the introduction to this chat, talking to Candice. All right, listeners, coming up this 4th of July weekend, we are all taking some time off to enjoy the holiday. That means instead of a weekly wrap this week, we're going to serve up an episode with three of my favorite music chats. We're going to have conversations and music from Emily King, Nick Hakeem, and Sid, formerly of Odd Future. Three of my favorite working musicians out in the game right now. It's like perfect content for a long holiday weekend drive. Okay? Check for that. Happy 4th in advance. Thank you for listening. Talk soon. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from The Run-Through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.